The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. And good afternoon, everybody. This is your guest host today, Jonathan Ruthier. And welcome to One Hour at a Time. We are really uh, excited to uh, talk about a topic that I think is on the minds of so many people in our country uh, we've got a new generation of kids out there, and they're, they're kids that are being raised with, you know, with access to touchscreen devices, and they're, they're being raised in an environment where uh, access to substances like marijuana are, is at a highest level probably than it's ever been. And uh, there's a lot to understand about how these, uh, how these factors are influencing our children's development. So I'm really excited that we have a guest today. Uh, who's who's been looking into this and really has a lot to offer us in terms of understanding our children's brain development. Um, Alicia Farrell, who's a PhD, is uh, is our guest today, and she's the founder of Clearview Consulting. And Alicia is an accomplished cognitive psychologist, a professional speaker, and the founder of Clearview Consulting. And some of her noteworthy accomplishments include nine years as a university professor, twice a fellowship award recipient in support of research on wisdom, and she's also a published research scientist and expert problem solver. Uh, her life's work is to educate and coach people and organizations on how to maximize brain power and solve problems. She's also got a private practice working with children's, uh, children, adults, couples, and families. And she brings 20 years plus of clinical and research experience and passion to her work. So, Lisa, uh, welcome to the show, and thank you again for... Um, for coming on today and being willing to share some of the work that you've been doing. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Sure. So it's really um, it, it's really remarkable when you think about the advance of technology and um, you know kind of what we're seeing now and how how we're understanding how technology is uh, impacting young people and their brain development. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I think I don't know that. Well, I'm in my 50s, and every generation seems to say the same thing, that, uh, you know, things have gotten so much more difficult. But I think that this generation of kids, the uh, the millennials, the, are, are particularly challenging to raise. Um, as parents, we're faced with situations that, um, that we don't have any experience with and very little scientific research to back up how to establish boundaries with our kids around things like technology and and uh, drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I think um, you know, as things shift, and we and we understand more about um, you know what influences uh, children. You know, it's really that much more important to get the facts and to really get facts that are that have been proven through through research. So um, that's really an important area to bring in. So what you know, what was it that got you interested in this topic? 
Yeah, so I, um, I've got a private practice, and um, about five years ago, I started to see a significant shift in the demographics in my practice. I started to get a lot of teenagers and young adults that were really struggling, struggling to grow up, struggling to take responsibility, struggling to solve problems and make decisions in their lives, and it was really confusing to me. And as I started, I, you know, I went into the research and I started looking around thinking, well, what in the world could be causing this? And what I discovered was what seemed to pattern nicely with what I was learning through the parents I was working with that parent these children, and that is that these kids that I was working with were really struggling with a dependence, multiple dependences, often dependence to technology, um, and that includes gaming and Internet use as well as dependence to uh, substances like marijuana and, and, uh, and alcohol. So um, I started looking into all of this to, to learn what the facts were, like you mentioned a moment ago, and, and figure out, gosh, we need to really know what's going on here because these kids, it seemed like there, was, there were just changes going on in the brains of these young adults and teenagers. And those changes seemed to be... Uh, persistent. So they weren't just developmental in nature. It seemed to me like, gosh, that it, it felt to me like they were trying to overcome these impossible barriers, cognitive barriers. And, um, and sure enough, uh, what I discovered was that there's a, a growing body of research that's suggesting that overuse of technology and overuse of substances has a significant influence on brain development during this stage of a person's life. Right. So when you talk about um, sort of differences in cognitive ability, what were some of the, the specific things that you were seeing in, so you talked about there really being kind of a shift, and what were some of the things that, were, that felt different to you in your clinical work? Yeah, so um, really difficult time paying attention. And these are kids that don't necessarily have ADHD. Um, difficult time with um, information processing speed. So these kids were um, having a difficult time processing information fluidly, fluently. Mm-hmm. Uh, difficulties with short-term memory and working memory. So short-term memory being the ability to hold information for short periods of time as well as working memory, which is what we're doing right now. It's holding information in an area where you can, you can process it so you can listen and understand and, and also converse. Um, and then higher-order cognition, things like planning, uh, complex problem-solving, and decision-making. And these kids are just, uh, were just struggling with some of the, the basic fundamental um, cognitive uh, processes that they really should be able to do at these stages in their development. Well, it's remarkable that um, uh, the research seems to be backing that as a, you know, a shift in the population, right? I mean, it's not just sort of, you know, the it's not just sort of a random occurrence that you happen to have, you know, a, a certain number of people in the area where you were doing your practice that had this particular challenge, but, but there seems to be a growing body of evidence that would suggest that these changes are, are, uh, are significant. Is that right? Yes, and I, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening to the show understands that thus far, the research that's being done in these um, individual areas 
has not established causation, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, you've, you know, in this case, you'd have to do very expensive longitudinal studies with groups of people over long periods of time. So what we're really talking about is correlations between, between technology use and substance use and brain development. And what that means is that we're finding strong relationships between um, the overuse of technology and substances and uh, young people's brain development. What we're seeing specifically are some physical changes in the actual structure of the brain. So we're seeing uh, changes in the prefrontal cortex, which if everybody puts their hands on their foreheads, they're basically starting to cup that part of their brain. And that part of the brain is really the home for your higher-order cognition. That's where you do all of your complex processing, problem-solving, and decision-making. We're also seeing um, changes, shrinkage of the hippocampus, which is you can think of the hippocampus as the central processing unit. Mm-hmm. So, um, And uh, we are also seeing changes in the cerebellum of the brain, which is the balance uh, coordination center of the brain. So, um, so it's of great concern because we, we don't know at this point how much of these changes will ultimately end up being permanent and how much of them will be um, you know, mollifiable. But, um, but it appears as if, uh, in particular, there's some research out suggesting that with marijuana, if you smoke um, regularly prior to the age of 18, you put yourself at risk for up to an eight-point drop in IQ, and that appears to be permanent. Well, I mean that's 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 really a dramatic number. I think for you know for people to understand that that's um, that's a significant change in somebody's potential and their their ability to learn and adapt. Um, and that's really a, an important fact, I think, for, for parents to understand. Yeah, it's frightening, actually. I mean, if you're one of those very fortunate people that have 145 IQ, eight points is a drop in the bucket. <laughs> but for right. most of us who are, you know, average to above average, that's a lot of IQ points that you're giving up. Um, and... You know, I don't. I don't know if you want to talk right now about uh, why that period of time in development is so critical for the brain. Do you want to go into yeah, that now? Yeah, that's or? a great question, and and I think a lot of people are probably wondering. You know, you know, we talk about kids as being able to bounce back and being resilient, and but there's so much going on in the in the brain, and it's not just body development. It's not just muscle tissue and bone. It's also you know neurons and. Um, you know, and brain structures. So, uh, yeah, that would think, I think that would be really, um, uh, it's really important for people to understand what's going on in the brain at that point of development. Well, it's really interesting. When I, when I was in graduate school over 20 years ago, we were taught something very different than what we know now about brain development. We were taught that you were born with all the nerve cells that you would ever have for the rest of your life. And the moment that you were born, those nerve cells started to prune. They started to die off. And they would die off based on what you were doing with the brain. So if you remember back that far, if you're uh, old enough, you'll know that that was during the time where we had all the, all the new technology coming out about stimulating how important it is to stimulate these young brains. Because if you didn't, then you would lose nerve cells that you would never be able to get back. 
And then there was some research that came out of Sweden um, now probably 15, 20 years ago, right around that time, that was starting to suggest that we actually had, our brains were actually quite plastic, which meant that our nerve cells could not only regenerate, but that we could produce new nerve cells. And um, that was really good news for the aging population because that meant that, wow, you know, maybe our decline doesn't have to necessarily be as significant as it is when we get up into those older years. But what it also started to suggest and what we have now discovered is that there are um, some very interesting um, developmental uh, I call them miracles, really, that are going on during the adolescent years. Uh, when you're, there's something called proliferation, and that is when the brain produces, in a very short period of time, a lot of new nerve cells. And there are actually two periods of proliferation. One is when you're in utero before you're born, and you're getting ready to come out and start taking in the world. And then the other is actually in pre-adolescence. This is something that we didn't know anything about. Uh, so right at pre-adolescence, the brain goes through this period of proliferation where it, it produces all these brand new nerve cells and it's getting ready for adolescence because in adolescence what the brain starts to do is to hardwire itself. It starts to prune. And what that means is that the brain cells that you're using at that stage in your development are going to be the brain cells that sustain themselves into your adulthood. So whatever you're doing with your brain at that point in time is going to dictate, in a sense, the brain power that you have as an adult. Right. So if you have a young individual who is um, smoking marijuana and playing violent video games and they're doing so um, you know, beyond just a, a normal average amount of time, they're going to have a significantly different brain than an individual who's playing an instrument and reading books and things like that. Right. So it seems like that, that period of time is really, in some ways, a Pandora's box because there's so much you know, potential being unleashed. And at the same time, it's, it's a period where the brain is really vulnerable to the influences that are, uh, are around it and, and which can really have lasting impact on the brain's functioning and, um, and patterns that, you know, that it's going to be setting up for later in life. It's, um, it's a fascinating area, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, when we come back from our break in just a couple minutes. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And today we're talking about the effects of marijuana and technology on our children's brain development. Our guest today is Alicia Farrell, who is an accomplished cognitive psychologist uh, who's been studying the impacts of marijuana and technology on our brain, on our children's brain development. And uh, just before the break, you know, we were talking a little bit more specifically about what's going on for young people during the pre-adolescence and adolescence. Uh, it's a time when when the brain is really, um, it's very, it's both vulnerable um, and it's, and it's, you know, it's growing and there's so much potential, but, um, that, you know, there's so many influences that can have a lasting effect in the brain. So, um, you know, so uh, Dr. Farrell, we're, you know, as we were thinking about this, um, it, you know, when somebody is, is a young person and they're in adolescence, their brain is really uh, doing a lot of work. You know, what specifically about marijuana and technology do people have to understand uh, in order to you know, really um, help a young person make good choices? That's a really great question, Jonathan. And, um, you know, let's, let's talk about marijuana first because there's such a misconception out there about this drug as being a harmless drug. And let me preface this by saying that I, I have a son myself. I appreciate how challenging it is to parent in this day and age and know, you know, when and, and how and where to allow our children to experiment because that's a natural part of adolescence. Um, and marijuana being one of the things that a lot of parents feel is, is harmless. It's a harmless drug to allow our children to experiment with. And uh, I, I want to make sure everybody hears very clearly today that, that that is no longer the case, and for very, very specific and important reasons. Back in the 1970s, when my generation was smoking marijuana, the THC level, which is the, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana that gets you high, it's one of 200-plus cannabinoids in the marijuana plant, 
um, the THC level back in the 1970s was about 1%. Mm-hmm. Today, the THC level is anywhere between 15% and 35%. So we've seen an exponential increase in the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. In addition to that, kids are smoking, they're doing dabs, which can be up to 80 to 90% THC. And we have natural THC receptors in our brains, and those receptors happen to be in the areas that we're seeing the actual physical, structural changes in in the brains of individuals who are smoking marijuana at these young ages. And the, the difference is that this marijuana is so potent, so much more potent than it used to be. Um, and we believe that that's why we're seeing these these changes in not only the physical structure, but also the cognitive um, impairments that we're seeing in these young individuals. Right. So we're not... Marijuana today is a very different drug than it was back in the 1970s. So when you're talking about THC and, and the concentration in terms of brain receptors, you know, I think about sort of like, you know, I'm trying to imagine this as like, okay, there's only, it's like a giant game of, uh, you know, um, Sorry, I'm blanking on the name. <laughs> you walk around the circle, musical chairs, right? And there's there's only so many receptors available, and and there's a flood of influences trying to get to those receptors. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to look at it. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and, and so um, the THC of today seems to be it's like taking up a lot more chairs in the room. Yes, exactly. And what we're seeing because of that is, um, you know, a lot of people will argue to their death that marijuana is not addictive. Today's marijuana is addictive. We can stop asking that question or debating that. It is addictive. Does that mean everybody will become addictive? No. One in six individuals who start smoking prior to the age of 18 will become addicted. And one, and these are obviously, um, you know, just percentages, but one in nine of individuals who begin smoking after the age of 18 will become addictive. And um, if you ask any, um, any intake person at a treatment facility, almost always the, they will say that those individuals coming in began their addiction by smoking marijuana. So it's also um, considered a gateway drug into other, um, you know, more serious psychoactive drugs. Right, right. You know, that's that's been a controversial question for a long time. Right? I mean, is it? Um, and, and you know, I think the answer really is in, uh, you know, like you said, you know, talk to the intake folks who are, you know, helping people commit, you know, come into treatment. Um, you know, what's their experience? And I guess maybe you could look at a, you know, a huge study of the general population and say, okay, well, you know, for, from, you know, maybe one in nine develop addiction, um, and go on to other substances. But like you're saying, it is a gateway for those folks whose brains are really vulnerable and, um, you know, who, who may be already at risk for addiction. Um, so it, it does kind of open those doors. Yeah, and it's also a gateway drug in another sense, and that is that the marijuana these days is very expensive. So kids will often start to experiment with marijuana, and then they'll discover that they can't afford to continue that recreation. So they look for cheaper drugs. 
and the and that goes along with the um, the the pills as well. Those tend to be very expensive. And what do the kids go to? They end up going to heroin because heroin mm-hmm. is cheap. Right. It's you know five bucks a bag compared to two hundred dollars an ounce for marijuana. So right. Um, right. it's a gateway drug in that respect as well. Yeah. And so you know there's. Um, you know, we talk about marijuana affecting brain development, and we talk about, um, you know, it, its impact. And, you know, what are some of the other um, other effects that people need to be aware of? Because, again, we're really looking at how do we help people understand that it's not a harmless substance, and this is not the pot that you're, you know, uh, that, that people were smoking in the, in the 60s and, and 70s. This is a different, more highly concentrated, uh, more potent and more dangerous drug. Yeah, so one of the other correlations um, that the researchers are discovering that's very troublesome is that those individuals who smoke at these younger ages put themselves at at an increased risk for psychosis, uh, schizophrenia in particular, and the evidence for that is growing. Um, In addition to that, because of the, the, um, the potency of the marijuana, you know, it's always been, oh, you can't overdose on marijuana. Well, you're not going to die from smoking too much marijuana, but kids are having psychotic episodes on these higher, um, you know, doing dabs in particular. Kids um, have, are going to the emergency room having had psychotic episodes. So, um, so you know, psychosis caused by, in in the moment, by ingesting marijuana, but also you put yourself at a higher risk for triggering schizophrenia. Um, and as we discussed, the cognitive effects of um, of smoking, in addition to general over lower academic achievement, and um, and smoking at these younger ages has been linked to to basically less success in later life. Right. So um, it's it's really it's just really worrisome. Um, yeah. And we're not going to see a decrease in the use of marijuana. At these ages, we're going to see an increase, and we're already seeing an increase because of the um, the normalization of the drug through the right. legalization of medical marijuana and the legalization of recreational marijuana in some of the states in the country. Right. It seems to me that that, and again, sort of, I use the term Pandora's box, uh, you know, in another context, but <clears throat> um, uh, access seems to be pretty easy at this point. Access is so easy. When I talk to to groups of parents and kids together and I'll ask the kids, how quickly can you get your hands on marijuana? And they all say the same thing. It's like, I could walk out the front door right now. I could have it in five minutes. Yeah. It's it's incredibly easy to get. And, you know, they, a lot of the baby boomer generation still smokes. So these kids are also being influenced by the role models that they're seeing in their own homes and in the homes of their friends. And unfortunately, parents are not only smoking in front of the kids, but they're also smoking with the kids. And um, and that's you know that's a great concern as well, because the parents are normalizing the use of the drug. Um, right. Now, I mean, does marijuana have a different effect in terms of brain development than other substances? Uh, you know, we know we know less about the effects of marijuana and brain development than we do with other substances. We actually know the most about that in relation to alcohol. And um, I recently 
read an article that was written by a pediatrician, and the title of it had to do with what you know if you had to pick as a parent to allow your child to um, experiment, would you pick marijuana or would you pick alcohol? Mm-hmm. And interestingly, the research on alcohol far um, outweighs the research in marijuana in terms of the effects of, of alcohol use and brain development during these teenage and young adulthood years. So, and there's, uh, there also appears to be far more evidence that drinking alcohol influences behaviors that put these kids at greater risk than smoking marijuana does. The, he concluded in his article that the, the evidence is really, really neither here nor there in terms of parenting. Parenting, you should really discourage and, and set some very strict guidelines with your kids to discourage them from using either one of those substances. Right. But, um, well, parents have a lot of uh, a lot of things that they have to consider in this in this uh, day and age, both in terms of substances, but also in terms of technology, and uh, and and children's access to both information and um, social outlets. So, uh, when we come back from the break, uh, we'll be talking more about uh, weeding out fact and fiction, the effects of marijuana and technology on our children's brain development. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. 
And good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back again to One Hour at a Time. And our, our episode today is talking about the effects of marijuana and technology on our children's brain development. Our guest today is Alicia Farrell, who is the founder of Clearview Consulting, and she's an accomplished cognitive psychologist. And we've been talking about the different influences on the brain, uh, particularly for young people whose brains are, are going through a lot of change, uh, getting ready for adolescence and really to establishing patterns for uh, how the brain is going to function later in life and why it's really a sensitive uh, and vulnerable time for, you know, for the human brain, but also uh, a time that, um, you know, parents really need to be aware of in terms of what's happening. So, you know, as we think about the influences and the differences uh, that today's children are experiencing, uh, then say even, you know, a generation or two ago, they're exposed to a lot more information, they're exposed to a lot more technology, um, but the the visual stimuli alone of the technology that they have access to, and whether it's toys, uh, iPads, uh, other um, interactive devices, really seems to be um, it's just tremendously different from uh, you know kids who were born in, uh, prior to the say the, the late 1970s. So, for, you know, Dr. Farrell, what uh, what are parents to know nowadays about you know what's healthy, what's what's um, what's important for the development of a of young brain, and uh, what can they do to really uh, make sure that uh, they're helping their child make good choices? Yeah, let, well, let's start with some basics. So the, the Academy of Pediatrics actually has very specific recommendations as to how much time children should spend in front of a screen, and a screen of any type, so TV, iPad, tablet, computer, whatever. And what they recommend is that for kids two years old or younger, no screen time at all. And for kids older than two, one to two hours a day. So I I can hear your audience groaning (laughs) right now because they're saying, well, that's not even possible. How am I going to get dinner on the table, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, one to two hours, what if you have a child who's 15 years old and they have a phone? Is that even realistic? So so let's talk realistically here for a second. First, let me tell you that on average, our kids are spending upwards of seven hours a day in front of a screen, and when you add that up, uh, you'll discover that that's far more time than they're spending in school over the course of a year. So we are, we're not setting boundaries um, that are healthy for them, either their brain, de- you know, as, as it relates to their brain development or their socio-emotional development. So... Um, So, yeah, 30% of the infants in this country have a television in their bedroom, believe it or not, which is is pretty horrifying. And anywhere you go, you'll notice that parents are are handing their phones and and their iPads and their this and that to their toddler children. So um, some realistic guidelines, in my view, would be if your child is two years old or younger, uh, limit the amount of time to, you know, maybe 10 minutes a day. If you if you can keep them away from the screens altogether, great. But I understand as a parent, if you've got multiple kids, that's virtually impossible. So um, so you want to make sure that you you limit 
the, the time that they spend in front of a screen uh, significantly. And then after that, decide for yourselves what you believe to be healthy for the different um, ages of your children. So during their, you know, after two years old, say from two to five, maybe you allow them a half an hour a day. And and then from five to ten, you allow them 45 minutes a day, et cetera, et cetera. The important thing to take away from this is uh, that the amount of time that they spend in front of a screen is going to have a significant influence on their brain development as well as on their ability to learn to do things like play, like solve problems, develop compassion. Um, it's uh, The research is becoming unequivocal in that respect. Right. So... Um, you know, given that, I mean, my gosh, you know, to think about, you know, one to two hours, you're really being associated with higher levels of aggression or sleep disturbances. I mean, that's, for a lot of people, that's a pretty short amount of time for the day, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And uh, how is that playing out in terms of schools? I mean, does that include time that, that you know, uh, children would be you know, looking at or using a computer at school to help do research for a project or, uh, you know, utilizing a program to help learn how to type, for example? Yeah, it's a really, really great question and not an easy one to answer because our children are obviously in front of screens a good part of their day now at school. So does that mean when they come home they shouldn't have any screen time or should they be allowed some screen time? And I think we need to we need to distinguish between the time that they're spending in front of the screen that is truly educational and the time that they're spending recreating. So at at school, you would hope that most of the time that they're spending is educational. Um, If they're at home and they're playing a video game, I would consider that recreational, even if it's something that is, has been developed to teach them something in particular. Uh, I would say that that's recreational time, and I would limit that to no more than one to two hours a day. And has there really has there been research looking at um, you know again sort of specifically in the brain which which parts of the brain are being affected by excessive use of um, screen time or technology? Yes, there has. It's in its infancy, but what they're finding so far, first of all, is that. Um, that there is such a thing as behavioral addiction to gaming and Internet use. And most of the research is coming out of China, and the reason is because they have a terrible problem with um, addiction to technology. In fact, they're the first to actually have identified it as a a psychological um, disease, and, um, and they have treatment centers over there. We have one or two here in the United States. I think there's actually one in Oregon. But um, but we, we have not identified it as an official diagnosis. So what we're finding is that in our country that behavioral addiction to gaming and the Internet is actually more prevalent in our children than depression and anxiety and ADHD. And the effects on the brain are very similar to those that are associated with substance abuse. So we're seeing a shrinkage in the gray matter in the frontal lobe of the brain, and we're also seeing a decrease in the white matter of the frontal lobe of the brain. 
Um, the gray matter is what allows us to think, and the white matter is what allows us to communicate between brain regions. So, um, so we are seeing some structural changes in the brain, as well as in the limbic system, which is the emotional center of the brain. And, um, and what we're seeing is that internet um, addiction is actually setting down the, um, the pathways for other forms of addiction to develop. So it's not unusual for children who are addicted to the internet or to gaming to develop another addiction to a, another substance later on down the road. Right. So the same reward circuits involved um, in you know in gaming and and uh, excessive gaming than that is involved in uh, another addiction. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is really important information. I. I um, you know, I think about, again, sort of parents out there who, uh, you know, many of whom relied on screen time, as I said, you know, was kind of joking about earlier, but uh, that's how they got dinner on the table, or that's, you know, for their young kids, real young kids, you know, two and three years old, you know, toddlers, um, you know, you pop in a Disney movie and, and you're good to go for, you know, uh, you know, for half an hour. So it's really, it's it's interesting to me that now we're seeing that all of these influences really um, when they became something that, that got out of hand or that, what, that wasn't um, monitored or, or there weren't limits set, I guess, you know, uh, appropriate limits set for the age that, uh, you know, we're seeing these challenges now later in life. Yeah, and, and in fact, let me just read you a very interesting list. Um, one to two hours of screen exposure in early childhood has been connected to the following things higher levels of aggression, sleep disturbances, obesity, lower math and school achievement, shorter attention spans, delayed language acquisition, hyperactivity, emotional and behavioral problems, difficulty with peers, reduction of self-control, and issues with memory. So it is just mind-boggling. And it's, yeah. it's also really important for your, your audience to know that any, any app, any program that touts itself as being designed to, um, to speed up learning or to influence learning of any type is, um, is all marketing. There's no scientific data suggesting that any of these apps or any of these learning programs do any better job than just the simple basic things that we do with our children. Wow. Actually, that's, that's a really interesting point because there are so many things that market themselves as, okay, you can learn a new language in you know, as little as three weeks or uh, you, know, you can uh, learn how to pass the, you know, get a high score on the SAT. I mean, there's... Um, and maybe there's some, you know, some improvement that's made, but um, you're saying that there's really no sort of measurable effect uh, of these programs in terms of helping your brain be able to adapt and, and keep the information longer. No. Or in fact, they've, uh, the studies have shown that even children who watch Sesame Street, uh, many of them have delayed language acquisition. Uh-huh. So it's really, you know, we, we fool ourselves into thinking that... Um, we can turn the responsibility for teaching our children over to these shows and programs and apps. Right, right. 
Well, I think, I mean, that is a, that is a great point to, uh, to end this segment on, that, you know, it's really um, so much in life uh, in terms of success is about um, having variety and having social interaction. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about what, what are the social emotional effects of some of these uh, influences on the brain and, and what parents can really do uh, and, and other uh, people who are interested in helping young people can do uh, to, to help them overcome these challenges. And we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Rupier, and today we're talking about the effects of marijuana and technology on our children's brain development. And we're joined today by Dr. Alicia Farrell, who is the founder of Clearview Consulting and who's an accomplished cognitive psychologist, who's really helping us understand uh, what the influences are of marijuana and, uh, and technology, uh, and specifically screen-based technology, on the brain development of our young people. Um, and, and I think this is a topic that people are really, uh, you know, looking for some help in, uh, Dr. Farrell, because um, as we know, you know, kids are, are so drawn to, um, they're, they're drawn to the screen, they're drawn to what their friends are doing, they're drawn to uh, 
Um, you know, there's so many ways for kids to interact through the use of technology uh, and through a screen, you know, than ever than ever before. And um, but it's also, it's, you know, there's a connection there that they can make to others. But it's it's not the same as you know being able to sort of talk eye to eye. So, you know, parents really face enormous challenges in uh, helping their kids make good decisions. And uh, I'm sure our audience is really interested in learning sort of some practical things that, that they can either do themselves or they can share with others as parenting advice uh, to help young people. So what's, you know, what are some of the things that folks should consider? Yeah, so this is such an important question to answer because, and, I, you know, I'm going to give you some guidelines the important thing for everybody to remember is that, you know, your family is your family. You know what works in your family. So take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. Make sure that you, you know, modify it to work for your children and your family. But a really, really good place to start is to know what your values are. Know what your family values are. So sit down with your significant other talk about those values, come up with your top five values and identify them, define them together, and then start to communicate those values to your kids at very young ages. So if one of your, your, you know, your hard stops is going to be health and wellness is really important, then that would mean that you're going to start to communicate at very young ages. You can start talking to your kids, for example, about drugs and alcohol as early as third grade. Um, so I think being very, um, very didactic about your family values is important. Educating yourself, uh, know the facts. Stay up to date on the facts. Uh, ask a lot of questions. Go to your community information events. Communities often have wonderful lectures and support uh, people in place that you can go to, to to find out about these things. So be educated yourself. And then be dedicated to educating your children. And here's and that gets tricky because what we all want to do as as adults is we want to sit down and have a conversation with them, and that often doesn't work. So we need right. to also learn to set our expectations realistically. So you want to have very short, very targeted conversations with your kids, and you can even talk them out ahead of time with your significant other or with a friend to kind of get your your little your little approach down. Um, so kids are going to respond to you much better if you don't lecture them. So what I recommend that you do is you instead draw them out by asking them questions. And then when you have an opportunity, you slip in a little information. Um, so for example, you could ask your kids, so, um, you know, what do you, what are you finding on a daily basis at school? Do you know any kids that are, are using drugs? And, you know, you don't have to identify them, honey. Just let me know. I'm just interested. Oh, yeah, yeah, there are kids. And, well, did you know I just read this article the other day about marijuana and how it actually um, it causes negative changes in your brain. Is that something that you would be concerned about? And then you draw them out, ask some questions. You want to do as little of the talking as possible. And that's always a really good um, a good approach to have with your children in general. If you can instead get them to engage with you on their level and you're responding instead of leading the conversation, it's a much better chance that you'll be able to uh, 
um, to actually have them hear what you have to say. Right. So, so you know, um, being it's interesting because you know, I think parents are, you know, of certain generations, there sort of uh, there was a mystique about having the talk with you know <laughs> with your children, and it's really more about having the listen, isn't it? Yes. Oh my God! It's just you said that beautifully. That's exactly yeah. it. You yeah. want to listen ninety percent of the time. Right. So you know, it's uh, um, how about in terms of you know technology? I mean, it, this there's so much information coming out now. I mean, it's really is still as you mentioned earlier in the show. It's in its infancy, and you know how how can parents equip themselves? To help uh, to help their kids make good decisions about technology. Well, they they need to decide where those limits are going to be, um, and I'll recommend some some hard stops in that respect. No television in the bedroom ever, even in the teen years. Most importantly, in the teen years, if it's possible for them not to have a computer in the bedroom and instead to have a computer in the the general family area, that is also much healthier. Uh, I would recommend no um, no uh, telephone in the bedroom. What these kids are doing now, since their telephones are basically their computers, is um, you know they're communicating throughout the entire night. So they're being uh, you know they're waking up to texts at three in the morning. Right. Um, so if you can you can have a, a hard stop on that as well. Uh, that would be helpful. Be a positive role model. So we're we're very much the culprits in this ourselves because we don't know where the limit should be. This is all new to all of us. Right. So put your phone down. Yeah. Um, put it away. I was, I was really interested too in, in reading uh, recently about just you know something as basic as making sure that you're having a meal together with your kids you know once a day. I mean it's that that you know having just getting time away from some of these other influences and just being able to make that connection face-to-face as a family seems to be really powerful. Yeah, Columbia University has, um, has a white paper on that, and they found that it, out of everything you can do to prevent the overuse of, of drugs, alcohol, and technology, it's having dinner together as a family. Yeah. It's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. It's simple. So. It's really amazing. So, um, you know, it's really uh, it's, it's been wonderful, you know, being able to talk about these topics. And I know that we could we could go on for hours because there's so much to learn. <clears throat> there's so much that that um, you know, I think you know, again, parents really want to understand, need to understand. Uh, but the it's an information overload too. And I don't know if you have any thoughts or recommendations about where people can go for information. Um, and, uh, you know, or, or other resources, whether it's uh, uh, community groups, um, presentations, et cetera. Yeah, I do. In fact, I think what I'll – I have so many resources. I think what, what I'll do is I'll recommend that anybody that's listening that would like to have the, um, the collection of resources that I have for both drugs and alcohol and for technology to just contact me and I'd be more than happy to forward you all that information. Okay. There's a lot out there. There's some wonderful, wonderful websites for people. Great. And, and what's, is there a website that people can uh, to get information on how to reach you? Yeah, so right now the best way to get me would be to email me, and my email address is alicia, A-L-I-C, 
CIA at Alicia Farrell, F is in Frank, A R R E L L, PhD.com. Okay, and so that's Alicia also, at AliciaFarrellPhD.com. Yeah, and I have, uh, I have a website as well that's being refurbished right now. So if you go to my website, you're just going to see a screen that says, Coming Soon. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, and the website is um, AliciaFarrellPhD.com. Great. Well, I hope that our listeners will, uh, will reach out and find some more information and um, and spread that availability to other people because we, you know, there's a lot of information about there that we need in order to help our young people. Uh, Dr. Farrell, I want to thank you again for coming on the show today. It's been, it's been lovely having you, and I think this, um, this is a really timely and important topic. To all our listeners out there, I want to, again, thank you for tuning in or downloading our podcast, and we look forward to having you back again here um, one hour at a time every Monday at 3, p- 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.